Welcome to Afternoon Light, the podcast of the Robert Menzies Institute at the University of Melbourne. I'm Georgina Downer and I'm the host of Afternoon Light. Each week I speak to leading thinkers from around the world about Robert Menzies, his life, his era and his enduring legacy. In this week's episode of Afternoon Light, I had the great honour and pleasure of speaking to Sir Robert's daughter, Heather Henderson, about her reflections growing up as Sir Robert's daughter and accompanying her father on official engagements and visits around Australia and the world. I want to thank Heather for the time she gave me and the reflections that were so intimate and frank. It was a great pleasure to record this podcast and I hope you enjoy it just as much as I did. Heather, I wanted to start our discussion today by asking you about what your father did for Australia's relationship with Japan so soon after the war. It was really quite incredible in the context of the times, wasn't it? It, it was very surprising so soon after the war. So soon. And uh, it was very good for Australia, I think. I think we were lucky that he did. And he always seemed to have good relations with their ambassador here. And mm. he, he tried very hard. My brother had fought during the war. He'd been up in Bougainville. But I think he, he was very keen. He could... He was very good at seeing what was going to happen, mm. looking and seeing into the future. And I think he knew how important it was for Australia to get on with Japan, even though it was difficult, after well, to say the least, difficult. Did he like visiting Japan with your mum? It would have been culturally I, so different. I know. Mum, and, and we, you know, we weren't used to travelling overseas like we are these days. No, but... Well, he had travelled overseas, yeah. certainly, during the war. Too, but my mother was the one who was vitriolic about them. Oh, okay. But, but my father was more measured about it. But it was very hard to live through the war and mm. feel friendly to the Japanese, to say the least. Yeah. We all knew people. I mean, I remember my doctor going to the war and he was in a prisoner of war camp and he came back bent in double. He was just, I couldn't believe it when I saw him. And that hit me. And also mm. the fact that so many of the children of my parents' friends had been killed or mm. maimed in some mm. way. Mm. It was oh, very hard to be. Civil to even civil, not certainly not friendly. So, Dad was extraordinary. I think the way he did try very hard, although it must have been pretty hard even for him. I think. I I think it must have been an extraordinarily difficult thing to do. Yes. To to look beyond what had just happened. Yes. To as you say, the children of your friends. Yes. Of your countrymen, that they've been killed by these people yes. and then to say but but actually we're going to turn over a new leaf and mm -hmm. have this really I important economic relationship with this country yes. and I'm going to go there and do do business with them yes. and try and start afresh. I, I was was extraordinary I think and I can remember as a, as a, a schoolgirl during yeah. the war and I we used to read about the tortures they went in for 
Mm. And when the Japanese bombed Darwin and it looked as if they might come into Australia, I can remember being absolutely terrified that my father would be arrested, of course, <laughs> and he'd be tortured. Yeah. And I, I can remember nightmares about that. Of course, mm. of course, yeah. Um, well, that would be would be natural. How how old were you during the war, Heather? You were in. Uh, well, I, when the war started in '39, so yes. I was ten or eleven. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so living in the lodge in '39. No. Well, I no. I stayed at home because we oh, had somebody right. there who in Melbourne in Melbourne yeah. who who looked after me, um, and I actually went. To school, went to the same school but as a boarder because they had boarders as well. Mm. And when my parents were home, I came home, which was a bit stupid looking back because I was not one thing or the other. Oh, you were in and out of the boarding yes. house, yeah. yeah. But that's the way they organised it and the headmistress was very um, tolerant. Yes, yeah. <laughs> but I used to go up to the Canberra for school holidays and there was one school holiday when there was a polio scare in Melbourne. And uh, so I stayed in Canberra for the whole of the middle term. Oh, okay. And in, instead of going exactly to school, I went and had lessons with Jane Casey and Githa Wade in the, uh, with a, somebody who taught them in a, oh, I suppose it was their garage, really. Oh, really? Which was so good for me because... There were only three of us, so I had to work. I couldn't just sit and <laughs> sit and let my brain go off somewhere else. Um, but Jane Casey, Jane was the daughter of Dick Casey. Oh, right. And yeah. uh, Githa's father was a geologist, so they remained friends for the rest of their lives. Mm -hmm. Oh, mm -hmm. so that was, you know, quite similar to what? Children have just experienced here with COVID. Yes, you're yes. Not able to attend your actual school, so yes. you've, you've gone somewhere else That's to do else. some sort of homeschool. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. I think we forget, don't we, that um, there were epidemics in the past, and oh, you had to, pandemics in the past, and yes. people had to muck muck through that. I mean, yes. polio was a real, real. Oh, polio was scary, and know, scary prospect, wasn't it? And it's, and uh, people I knew a lot of. People I knew were damaged for life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and Heather, you were you were telling me um, about the office of the Prime Minister and your reflections on that, which I, I find fascinating. We think about um, Prime Ministers' offices, offices now, Premiers' offices. What was your dad's office like? Um, he had very famous personal private secretaries, of course. Um, Bill yes. Hazeltine and well, he had yes, Eileen Lennon and, and then Hazel Craig and and Everett Wilkinson was there for a long time, and of course I, we they were almost part of the family because yes. it was only a very small office, and he had a secretary who was from the department, so that's what Bill Hesseltine, how he got him. He went there from the department, the Prime Minister's department. And it was a completely different setup. And he didn't have 
a, a media, what do you call it, a media representative? Media advisor. <laughs> what was known as press secretary. Yes. Uh, he didn't even have that to begin with. It wasn't until quite a lot later, I think it's certainly after 1950, 49-50, and uh, I think he was finally persuaded it would be a good idea. <laughs> so how was he handling the media before having a press secretary? Would they just come directly to him? Yes. Oh, goodness. Can oh, you yes. imagine that in this day and age? No. It's interesting. There's, um, we were having a discussion the other day with Troy Brampston and, and um, my dad, Alexander Downer, about whether politics is harder today than it was mm -hmm. you know, in the Howard era or I guess in the Menzies era. And, uh, and Troy, Troy said, yes, it is, because the 24-hour media cycle yeah. is never a, a break in, you know, okay, we've got the press release out for the nightly news, now we can have a break until yes. the next morning type thing. Um, whereas my, my dad, um, he was saying, no, it was, it was hard then and it's hard now. It's, it's not, it, I mean, the way you conduct yourself is maybe a bit different, but it, it's, it's still, still hard. Mm, yes. <laughs> but obviously it was hard if you didn't even well, have a press well, secretary. I th well, I think it's terribly hard now because it's 24 hours a day, more or less. Yes. And yeah. and they, they stop in their tracks wherever it is and for some reason they feel they have to answer. That's what I don't understand. I mean, I can remember Dad saying, no, no, see you tomorrow. Yeah. But he wouldn't, uh, he wouldn't just answer questions like, or sometimes he would, depends, but he didn't feel he had to. So do you think that's because, that was because of who he was? Was he someone who sort of wanted to always take a moment to think about how to deal with a situation or, or how to respond to an issue? Or do you think um, that... And, and you know, and maybe today, in today's age, there's just an expectation you have to have got an opinion straight away. Yes. You know, we don't give people a chance to, to collect their thoughts and think. Do you, do you well, think part a... of it is the fault of the person being questioned. Why do they feel they have to answer? Yeah. I mean, I, I, so often I can remember Dad saying, "No, no, see you tomorrow." Mm. And, and in fact, that, that famous. <laughs> famous one when he came back from overseas and his press secretary was Ray Maley. Right. And Ray had said to him, you know, this is ridiculous. You get back to Australia after a long flight. And, of course, the was slower in those days. That's right. Uh, and you're tired. And you, it's very difficult to answer questions. So I suggest you say uh, we'll have a conference tomorrow at 10 o'clock and, and leave it at that. They yeah. can wait till then. Yeah. But he, having sent that message, there were still some press people there at the <laughs> airport and he brushed them aside and said, no, boys, no, see you tomorrow. And uh, then when the, some young man rushed up and said, oh, Mr Menzies, I'm from the Sydney Morning Herald. And he lo looked at him and said, that dear boy is to your misfortune. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't like the Sydney Morning Herald much. <laughs> <laughs> but, but he, I mean, he could, it sort of got away with it. I suppose yeah. they hated him, but he didn't care if they liked him or not. <laughs> did, did, he, did he have a good relationship with the media, do you think? 
or a... I don't think... Uh, you see, it wasn't really media then. It was no. just really just press. The newspapers, really, mm. yes. Oh, the, what, television, yes, had come in in the end, uh, but that was different. But um, not entirely. I mean, some of them <laughs> thought he was terrible. He got on better with some than with others. Yeah. Um, but I th think whether they liked him or not, they respected him. Mm. Mm. And that's incredibly important. Mm. And um, your mum was amazing how she um, accompanied your father on just so many visits. Yes, she did. She, she did. She, she really, for those... Well, 16-odd years of mm. the second term. I mean, that was a full-time job for her, wasn't it? Oh, yes, it was a full-time job. Amazing. It was a full-time job. I don't think we expect quite that much these days of the Prime Minister's spouse. No, and, and also domestically. You see, the lodge was not run as it is now, like no. a sort of hotel or something. <laughs> but in those days, she, you know, had to organise things in the house. Yeah. And... and it was just like a family home, but with a cook and a housemaid and a yeah. parlourmaid, or whatever they were called. But um, it was completely different. But I can remember in one letter that Dad wrote, he said, your mother is mentally afflicted because she's making, I don't know, umpteen speeches all around Australia. Yes, in and her she, own right, she was having to do these speeches. Yes, yes wow. So she, she did a lot of speaking and she was she was good at it too but she I can remember somebody of her age talking to me once and saying we often wonder how on earth Pat has managed to do that because nothing in her background prepared her for it Hi. her mother died when she was young she went mm. to boarding school mm. she but somehow she managed to do all those sort of things, stand up in public and speak. And yes, because she wasn't the one who chose public life. Your father no. did. Mm. And yet she, she was, she thrown was a, in. A, a full, fulsome participant. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. And being asked questions by the press, being interviewed and all that sort of thing. But I thought she was extraordinary the way she coped with it, actually. And... And, and I've got to say, I did go overseas with my parents uh, uh, um, several times, or a couple of times, uh, to, when he went to London for Prime Minister's conferences. But one year my mother was not well, and I went instead of her, which was absolutely amazing for me because yes. I, there I was, I suppose, Dad's hostess or whatever yes, you might like yeah, call it. Yeah, that's right. So I was the in first on daughter. everything. <laughs> so I knew all of the, you know, all the great. How did you find that? Was it terribly intimidating? Well, no, I think I accepted it as part of life by right, then. Right, yeah. And people are people. And yeah. I, uh, gosh, I've always remembered that for life. And I can remember when Peter and I got engaged, Sir William Slim was Governor General, and he said, oh, look, dear, this is very good. You'll be very good at that in the diplomatic world. And I said, well, I won't, you know, because I don't care who sits next to whom at the table. <laughs> and he said, never forget, those who care don't count, and those who count don't care. 
Right. And I've remembered it forever, and yeah. it is so true. Yeah. Mm. Uh, so in, in those times when you were playing the role of first daughter... <laughs> Stepping in for your mum. Who were the who were the um, most interesting people you met? Do, and they might not have been the ones who should have counted, obviously. <laughs> no, well, the first that springs to mind was Danny Kay. Oh, right. Because when we were in New York, there was a woman there who had, she was Australian, I think, but she had great connections with the show business world. And she said, is there anyone your father would like to meet? So without hesitation, I said, yes, Danny Kay. And did he I, want to meet Danny Kay or did uh, you want to meet Danny Kay? I, well, I wanted to. <laughs> that, because, and he, she said, uh, to my horror, she said, oh, I think I can organise that. And I thought, oh, ye gods. And then she rang back and said, he's going to come to the hotel an hour before you leave. So then I had to tell Dad and he said, Danny Kay, never heard of him. And I said, well, so I tried to explain, you know, because he hadn't been on the scene very, for very long then. Right, right. And uh, so I was, you know, biting my fingernails. <laughs> Dad, we were ready to, packed up, ready to go, and there was Dad stamping up and down saying, Danny Kay, never heard of him. <laughs> the door knock on the door, in came Danny Kay. Walked straight out of the sideboard, poured himself a whiskey. Oh, right. And said, you're not going to leave this here, are you? <laughs> and then sat down in an armchair with his legs across the side of the you're arm. <laughs> and proceeded to be <laughs> enchanting. Lovely. And he and my father became best friends. No. And they So you were the matchmaker? I was a matchmaker. <laughs> and, and in fact... When Danny Kay had a show in Melbourne many years later, when Dad had had a stroke and Dad went in his wheelchair, mm. Danny looked down, saw him, and he stopped the show, just walked down, walked up, kissed him on the forehead, no. walked back on stage. The whole place erupted, oh, you can imagine. Oh, that's very touching. Isn't it? Oh, gorgeous. Mm. So that was your... <laughs> <laughs> Most <laughs> lasting impression of meeting someone. <laughs> but mind you. And the product uh, of quite a um, yeah, su successful uh, friendship. But, but I certainly, you know, I met and knew all the, yeah. the leaders and everything. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, yes, because you, you, of course, um, developed a friendship with Mary Churchill, Mary Soames, yes. didn't you? Yeah. Mm. Um, of quite long-standing. Oh, until in, she yes, died. until she died. Yes. Yeah. I, well, but I didn't meet her during the war or anything like that because I was school. But, um, but after we met, you know, we always stayed in touch. And, mm, mm, mm. Mm. Um, did, you, did you share um, experiences about having fathers in... In those positions, I mean, fathers who became figureheads of their countries too. It's quite amazing, isn't it? I don't know. I can't remember anything no. specific. 
you'd be asked this much more often than me, but I'm often asked, oh, what's it like to have a famous father? And mm. I said, but I've only ever had one father. Yes. So, you know, it's you not like I had that other life where yeah. I had the non-famous yes. father. But that's exactly <laughs> right. That's exactly right. <laughs> he is as he is and my childhood is as it is and, you yes. know, for, for better and worse that's and all right. in between. Yes. <laughs> they are my experiences. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, no. But um, your, your dad loved... Um, the, the arts, didn't he? That's yes. theatre and poetry. Yes. Um, in the collection at Melbourne Uni, we've had this librarian going through the yes, collection. I love Book it. by book mm. by book. And he, it's very special, which I haven't told you this before. He has found in the Melbourne University magazines, and the, your, your dad was involved, I think, from about 1913 to 16, and he was editor one year. Poetry that your dad has written as, mm. as part of the you know, magazine's yes. arts arts offering, and there are about thirty of them. Mm. Uh, and he was obviously quite quite oh he was you know <laughs> taken with writing poetry and mm. um, and uh, we thought we might even make a little anthology of them. I was quite interested in all this poetry and yes. the books of poems that he collected. Yes. Um, there's some. Quite a touching one from Lord Gowrie that his son had written, who and his son died yes. in, the, in the war. And um, Lord Gowrie and Lady Gowrie have given it to your dad, and it, it's so you know they've written an inscription about how much they obviously love their son and yes. they want these poems to be mm. appreciated to mm. keep his memory alive. I thought that was quite beautiful that your dad's been... kept that book in his collection till his dying yes. day. Yes. Yes, mm. oh, he would have. They mm. were very fond of the Gowries. Yes. And my parents, we had a little Scotch terrier dog. And when they came up to Canberra, we used to come to. And, but it loved wandering. And one day, Lord Gowrie rang and said, what's the name of your dog? And... Uh, uh, my mother or father, I can't remember who answered, but said, oh, it's, um, it was Mac, I think. And he said, oh, we've been calling him Bruce, whatever right. it was. You know. And she said, what do you mean? He said, well, he's on the pale blue sofa at the moment, having Enjoy. a little rest. <laughs> And the dog had wandered out there. The government house. The government house. How funny. <laughs> <laughs> but the guy, no, and Lady Gowry always wrote to Mum, uh, um, PM2. That's right. <laughs> PM2. PM2. <laughs> PM2. Uh, and because uh, the. the English are very good at writing letters, or were, yes. all the time. Yeah, fantastic. And she was very good at it. My mother was hopeless. So, I mean, when she wrote, she wrote a good letter, but she didn't care for getting round to getting, putting pen to paper. And we were talking about, um, before, another good friend of your, your dad's, um, Felix Frankfurter. And mm. in the collection, we have a lovely book that, that um, Justice Frankfurt has given to your dad oh, yes. um, about you know how much your dad loved the law and the lawyer was always deep inside him. Yes, 
Um, and they obviously had a, um, a, a meeting of the minds on, I think so. on the law and, and legal so. issues. But um, that's quite interesting, isn't it, that he was so friendly with a US Supreme Court judge. It would have mm. you know, it's hard to imagine that in today's context, yes. Australian Prime Minister going and staying right. with a US Supreme Court judge. It was sort of almost, mm. you know, in today's context, you'd think, oh, is that appropriate? Because, you know, is it interfering in the American judicial <laughs> system? All those conspiracy <clears throat> theorists, imagine yeah. that. Well, it was much easier than those days yeah. because he was not surrounded by dozens of people no. who sort of minders, whatever you call them. And so he could actually talk to somebody like that, just the two of them. Mm. And if they got on well, that's fine. They could yeah. continue the yeah. friendship. Yeah, mm. uh, it's nice. It's it's a it's lovely to to think that. I mean, life seemed a bit sort of somewhat simpler then. Oh, much e much easier, I think. Mm. Much easier. But I guess travel was slower, so you had more time. And, and security there was not not all this security. No. I mean, even in Canberra. I, you can't even leave a letter at the gate of the lodge. No. They won't take it. You oh. get, well, it might have something nasty in it. <laughs> <laughs> might have a bomb in it. Yes, or some, you know, some poison powder. Or, yes. Yeah, no. No, it's um, a less innocent world now, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. Yes. yes. I, I'll tell you something that's interesting with my father. He was very good at getting on with uh, well, people in his office to begin with, but mm. at home. Oh, yeah. And there was a, I think I've got it in my book actually, about Agnes, the, the girl who, um, just thinking, was she from the Ukraine? Oh, really? Okay. I can't think, but it's somewhere like that. Yes. And she was on her way to the university when the war came mm. and so she never got back to see her family oh. and she was stuck and, and oh, horrendous but she migrated after the war she got to Australia and for some reason she was given a job at the lodge oh, right. to clean yeah. or do something domestic work but she, by then she was married to Vasil Glembovsky, who was uh, working somewhere else. He got, he ended up being a linesman, I think. But she was taken to the lodge, and he was taken off somewhere else to be dropped, dropped off to wherever he was going. She didn't know where he'd gone. Mm. They had arrived by train, and there was the station from very early in the morning for about three hours waiting for somebody to come and pick them up. Right. So they weren't treated very well when they got here. And when she arrived at the lodge, the housekeeper was Mrs Pinkham, who said, what is your name? And she said, Nadia. She said, oh, we can't be bothered with that. We'll call you Agnes. <laughs> All right. Well, it was. It must have been ten years before I discovered she was not Agnes. We she was Nadia. She was, and and she. And this wretched woman didn't say, "Look, I'll, I'll show you your room, etc." And you must be tired, like a cup of tea, nothing like that. She said, "There's the washing up." 
Wow. So she, she had a pretty awful time when there was nobody living, the Prime Minister was not living there. Yes. And then the Chifleys came occasionally, Mrs Chifley came very occasionally, but she and Agnes got on very well. Yeah. So they sent her a Christmas card every year until they died. So she, which I then gave back to the Chifley's house. But she, when my parents got there, they treated her like a human being. And she was very amusing. Was she? And was her English good? Oh, by then it got better. But she, yes. she was very funny talking about learning English, how they would cheat, be, be a bit mean to her. And she was told to go to the butcher and get some bum steak. So she just thought that's what you ask for. And the butcher nearly flipped, of course. <laughs> and so there were two or three things like that yeah, where they'd yeah, given yeah. her the wrong meat. They were yeah. pretty mean to oh. her. But uh, they got on really well with my parents mm. too, and, and I got on well with her. In fact, I stayed in touch with her forever. But, oh. uh, but she, uh, I can remember one time when my parents had somebody staying there for, from overseas, I can't remember what nationality, what, whatever it was. Uh, they had to go out somewhere, but he was tired and he'd gone to lie down. And so Dad had said to Ag Agnes, um, make sure you wake him up. So there was Dad waiting to go out to this function and the visitor didn't appear and he, he said, Ag, for goodness sake, did you wake him up? And Ag said, well, what does hmm, hmm mean? <laughs> so, so, so in other words, no, he hadn't quite worked no. out. <laughs> Um, so I don't know if I told you this, the other day um, in the April, just after Easter, I think it was, or before Easter, um, we went to Japarit. Oh, did you? Yes, yeah. What with fun. my husband and two children. Good on you. Yeah, and we um, we went to Menzies Square, mm. uh, which is which is quite lovely, actually. It's amazing how remote it is. Yes. I, think, I don't think people realise that, you know, still... Bob Menzies did not come from... No, no. Kew or Hawthorne. <coughs> no. He came from a tiny little town, yes. like hundreds of kilometres from mm. Melbourne, hours away from a big centre. Yeah. I mean, even Ballarat. But he was very lucky that he had parents mm. who had a great belief in education mm. Mm. and the whole family benefited from yes. that, of course. Yeah. yeah. Mm. But it's, yes, it's... um. It's really, I think it's important for people to realise that. Yes. That you, you don't have to come from oh, no. anything in Australia. No, no, you if, if you've got, got it, if you yeah. want to do better, you can. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. Have you been to Japarit? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Mm. yes. It was very funny because Peter and I went and wanted to have a look and so we thought if we went to the local pub, we might meet someone. You know? Oh, yes. So we talked started talking to someone who happened to be, had the same name as some, you know, I recognised it. So that was good fun. So yes, yeah, he, um, yeah. he sort of showed us around and told us all about it. Yeah. 
And Heather, tell me about your parents. Where did they first meet? Um, Just in Melbourne? I think at the tennis club in Kew or Hawthorne, somewhere there. Yeah. Um, But they used to go to... Dad went to church with the school, Mum went to church with her school. Mm. And I think when (laughs) Dad was... She accused him of having said, you're the girl who used to make eyes at me in church. (laughs) (laughs) Sure, it was invented, but never mind. They did go to church, the same church, I think. Did they? Mm. Yeah, yeah. He was was very handsome, your dad. Menzies' family were good, strong, good, strong faces. Yes, Mm. yeah, yeah. Um, Dad was interesting like that, that he took a great interest in a lot of young ones. That's good. That actually is um, something my dad recollects about your dad. Really? He says he always took such a great interest in, in us as children of his, you know, of, yes. of obviously his <clears throat> colleague, my grandfather. Yes. Always interested in what he, my dad and his sisters were doing and yes. what they were wanting to do with their lives. And, oh, you know, of course, really? dad, you know, a teenager... Yes. Thinking, wow, you know, Robert Menzies has asked me about me. How amazing! <laughs> <laughs> he was quite, quite flattered. And I can remember um, hearing somebody speak. <clears throat> he said that when he was at university, his father was killed. I think this was during the war or something. Mm. But Dad, he was at university in England, and Dad went to the university to, to tell him. Oh, you really? I couldn't oh. believe it. Wow. That's very sweet. Mm-hmm. Oh, goodness. That must have been a very difficult conversation. Very. Oh. oh. But he didn't leave it just to a telegram or something. So. Oh, well, I'm sure that stayed with him, that gesture. Yeah. Well, he was, you know, he always took an interest in the young ones. It mm. was quite interesting. Yeah, yeah. Well, they're the future. It's mm. important. Well, that's probably why, one of the reasons why he did so much for education. Well, partly, but also because he knew what education had done to him, him, for him. Yeah. Mm. And I think, like his parents, it's that Scottish background, I think, Mm. of education. Mm. Not that he was very good at making sure his own children were educated. Oh, really? No. You didn't feel it applied domestically, just (laughs) more in the public? We were a great disappointment. (laughs) And when our our daughter, Edwina, got a a law degree, he was absolutely thrilled. He said, it's my first descendant to get a university degree. <laughs> so now you didn't go to university, your brother? Well, I did, but yes. I didn't graduate. And my brother, Ken, started, he did a, a year of law and then he went to the war, went, joined oh, the army. Yes, yes. And he went, didn't come back and finish that. No. And Ian started agricultural science, but he had a, a medical problem, shall we say. Yes. And he... Uh, couldn't go do that close study and he had bad eyes and so he went to Dookie Agricultural College where he was ducks of Dookie so wow. I mean there's nothing okay. wrong with that. No, no, mm. that's great. Yeah. So he finished at the college. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Um, well that's interesting, but I guess that reflects your different interests. 
Well, thank you to Heather Henderson for that wonderful discussion about her recollections growing up as the daughter of Sir Robert. The Afternoon Light podcast is brought to you by the Robert Menzies Institute at the University of Melbourne. You can find more about the Institute and our podcast at robertmenziesinstitute.org.au. We're also on Twitter, on Facebook and LinkedIn. We look forward to you joining our show next week. Thank you. Thank you.